Jesus Christ. And you know that word serve? Uh, when Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ, it's actually the Greek word for slave. It's the consideration that I am owned by Jesus. And I serve him, uh, yes, out of love, because I love him, but it's also a matter of that's, that's, that's what I'm called to do. <laughs> I'm a slave of Jesus, and there's no better master. And uh, we can worship our master. He's perfect. So again, just recapping, uh, we're, we're obviously trying to launch VBS tomorrow morning. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of physical labor that needs to happen between now and then. We've planned and planned and put everything in place, but now we have to put it all together. So if you have time this afternoon after lunch, we could use many good hands. Please come out. Uh, prayerfully consider that as a service. We'll put you to slave-type level of service for Jesus and for the gospel's sake. And then uh, secondly, you heard about uh, signing up to bring some food for the workers during the week. Um, who were they supposed to contact that? Nellie or Linda Kogel? She's working in the nursery. She's coordinating that. But you could talk to Nellie or Carolyn too. And then thirdly, really honestly, for tomorrow morning snack, Charlotte's, you know, don't tell her I told you this, but she's got a, she's going to be working really late today at a place very near where you're sitting. <laughs> and so, and she's got to come up with 50 cupcakes for tomorrow. And so I said, I said, I'm going to ask people, are you raising your hand? Praise the Lord. Done and done. Talk to Charlotte. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell her too, but anyway, thank you very much. All right. Today is such an exciting day because we have such a fantastico text of Holy Scripture to look at and to marvel over. It's 1 Corinthians 15. Like I said last week, one really good way to look at what we call unfortunate events, one really good way to look at it is that God has a plan in the unfortunate events. It was, it was unfortunate, embarrassing, and irritating that there were crazy teachings going on in um, teachings and, and beliefs in the early church. But the good thing about that in God's beautiful balance and timing is that allowed for all the solid teaching of, of the New Testament. R- really, actually, all the solid teaching of the New Testament is, re- is in response to bad thinking. <laughs> so you kind of got to say, you know, like... Uh, I'm kind of glad for all that bad thinking because it produced the beautiful uh, standard by which we can, we should, I guess, in smoky rooms, smoking cigars, do, do our theology. But, uh, no, actually, theologians don't all smoke cigars. I prefer, I never smoke cigars. <laughs> it's been a long time since I smoked a cigar anyway. So 1 Corinthians 15, and my title is History. God's masterpiece. Uh, God has an, a perfect plan. Uh, what makes a masterpiece? You know, is it the dark colors? Or is it just the bright colors? Is it the foreground of the painting? Or is it the background of the painting? Is it the theme, the overall feeling you get by looking at it? And what, what makes a masterpiece? Well, you'd say yes. It's all those things, pastors. It's all those things that work together. And I, I always love the analogy of thinking of God as a great weaver. 
uh, of a, a tapestry, and we're we're underneath the tapestry. We're looking at all these sort of random colors going in, and all this dark thread over here and bright colors here. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We're looking at it from the underside, right? But when you look at it from God's point of view, it's going to be like, wow, you planned every stitch. You knew exactly where to place every color. You knew what to put in the foreground and what to put in the background uh, and, and where the light should come in, in in this beautiful work. So God is a master artist and we see that in a little bit in our text today. It's kind of a sweeping uh, text. It goes from sort of the here and now to the big, amazing future in a very short thumbnail uh, sketch of things. But uh, let's let's jump into this. I have uh, you know one, two, three, f- four major other sections of scripture another little eight-verse pockets to look at quickly. So take some notes and at least jot down references in the bulletin. You have a a little thing, and we'll see how we can do this today. Let's work at it. First of all, let's read the Holy Scripture. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father. Excuse me, I read that wrong. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy To be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. I read that twice. It's a quote. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. It's a little complicated, but he explains it, what he's saying. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will also be subjected to him. Who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all? Just a little note grammatically, this word subjected used six times in our text. Uh, obviously quite important to Paul here in this text, to the Holy Spirit. It's it's the word hupotasso in Greek. Hupo is a prefix we're very, very familiar with. We would say hypo, like a, you know, a hypodermic needle. You've heard me say that a few times. What is a hypodermic? Well, what's the dermis? Skin. 
Hypo means under, under the skin. Uh, not over, that's hyper. You know, again, squirting it in the air won't do you any good. You gotta get it under the skin. So, in, in Greek it's more pronounced hupo. Hupo tasso means to arrange, to, to set out, to put yourself under the authority of God's properly assigned authority. Hupotasso. It's, yes, it's used of wives submitting to their husbands and used it in many ways. So, a little grammatical note on Hupotasso. History. God's masterpiece. Let's look at this together. I've, I've arranged it through three S's in our text today. Uh, they're symmetry, schematic, and subjection. Three S's. Symmetry, schematic, Schematic is a design or a plan. And then subjection, what I already just talked about. So let's look at symmetry first. What do I mean by symmetry? Notice that in the very beginning, in verse 20 and 21 and 22, he has this balance. Symmetry is balance. And, and God has a balance that he is going for. He's planned for it. And you can trust it's going to balance out. What is the balance? Well, man brought death, man brought life. That's the balance here at the beginning. There, Jesus Christ became man. He's a human being, God and man. But as God, he couldn't die, and he couldn't be raised back to life. That's a human thing. Uh, you know, it's complicated and difficult, and I don't claim to understand it all, but here it is in the text, right? Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I think no one misunderstands fallen asleep. That's not what you'll be doing in, in 14 minutes from now. Um, <laughs> let's hope. You know, <laughs> let's hope. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's a metaphor for dying. Right? It means they, those people who have died. Um, rest in peace. R.I.P. Okay. Jesus is the first fruits. Uh, I am a big fruit fan. I grew up in California, so I'm spoiled with the best fruits, at least in California, if not the United States, right? Like peaches, when they're perfectly ripe. You get that first peach of the season. It's just glorious and wonderful. And in the Hebrew economy, they would call that the very first first fruits or the first harvests of many. It's a promise of many good things to come, right? And what do you do with that first fruits? You commit it to God as an offering. You thank the Lord for it. And so this text says, Jesus is that. He's like the first fruits of many to come of those who have fallen asleep. And here's the symmetry, though. For as by a man came death. Now what is that talking about? Uh, that's talking about Adam. Because of Adam, we will all die. We will all die. Man brought death. Man brought life. Remember, there is a 100% death rate. Now there is a strange exception to this that I'm just going to set aside. And that is, there will be a group of people... <laughs> Um, who will not die, when Jesus comes back, uh, some will be alive and the believers, and they'll be taken off to be with Jesus. Uh, but 
again, that's the rare exception. I'm not saying that's not true. But by and large, the rule is 100% death rate. We will all die. I like to think of um, even, you know, the extreme wealth people like Steve Jobs, you know, who's great and creator of Apple Computer. And with all the wealth and all the capability and all the brains at, at his disposal, of course, he gets cancer and dies. Everyone dies. 100% death rate. There is no escape. I, oh, I put it that way. Let me go back. God has chosen that we will not escape this curse. You know, even as a Christian, even as a believer and in Christ, and we know we're not dying forever in hell, but again, with the exception of that, the rapture generation, the Bible doesn't say you won't get sick and die. In fact, quite the opposite. You will get sick and die. Don't marvel at it when it happens. Don't be surprised. What is it about? You're dying because of the curse on sin. The Bible provides the only adequate answer to the question, why, why do these bad things happen? Why do people die? God said, when you sin, you will die. And we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all inherit Adam's sinfulness and guilt. Uh, so the double whammy is that we will all die. I, I, I've been in hospital ministry uh, really like 33 years now. I'm still a volunteer up at CHOMP. Uh, a couple, couple days a month I go up and visit people. And then my first 13 years in the hospital, I was full-time hospital chaplain. So I've been around death an, an awful lot. I've seen many, 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 many people die. Um, and it, it is always difficult. This doesn't take the pain out of it. Uh, but it isn't irrational either. Uh, it isn't um, just accidental. No, 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 the Bible says it's actually very purposeful. People get sick and die as a huge illustration of how horrible sin is. And what is sin? Let's go to the bottom of the text. Rebellion against the authority of God. What, what, what? God said you can't eat a fruit? How ridiculous is that? You know, I, I just want to eat that fruit. But he said you can have all the other fruit in the garden. No, no, I want the one that he said I can't have. Rebellion, rebellion against God's authority. Uh, so uh, let's look at the first, I, m I mentioned I have a few texts to read uh, along with this, because this, this text really congeals, comes together with a lot of great texts. Uh, look at Romans 5. I put it up there. Like I said, jot it down. I don't have time to teach all this, but I'm making solid reference to it. Romans 5, uh, 14 through 18, supports everything I just said about death, curse, and why death occurs. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of those who was to come, who was a type of the one who was to come. My reading is slightly off today. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because it's too warm in here. Could somebody go open that door? Colby Arn. He's a birthday boy today, by the way. 
20 years old. Can you believe that? Um, thank you, sir. It won't help me at all, but it's a psychological advantage. <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, I was reading and I was slightly off. Um, death, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type. See, Adam is like, he's a type of the one who was to come, who is Christ. There's that symmetry. The first Adam, the second Adam. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass, one sin, in Adam we all die. And again, you, you can easily say, I'm sorry, that's just not fair, that makes no sense. Even with the you know most conservative timeline, he lived thousands of years ago. Well, he represents all of us, and the other side of the coin is, even if it's not logical, it is what God says. It, it, he's describing reality. He's the weaver. He's the painter. He's the one who sets the stage. You, you just your your arms too short to box with God. He is the one with all power. So this is what he says is real, uh, not arbitrarily. This is this is he's describing what is reality. And you might say, well, I don't like that reality. Fine, live in your own phony, fake reality, but it will crash down on you one day. <laughs> and sadly, tragically, you'll find out, wow, the Bible was right all that time. Okay, so I was reading in verse 17, for if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So this is emphasizing a resurrection and a life that comes to believers who are released from death and the penalty, released from the penalty of death and eternal death. They're, they move from death to life, the, the Bible says, forever. But there's more to this than that, because this text, our text today, back in 1 Corinthians, verse 20 and following, let me look at the text again. He says in verse 22... For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, are those two alls symmetrical? Or is the one all, should we read it, those in Christ will be made alive, and, and that leaves off a whole group of people who never placed their faith in Christ and never became a part of the in Christ group, Right? Well, no, I don't think that's the best way to read this. Why? Because actually, in a categorical, 
across the board sense, every human being who ever existed, Cain and Abel, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, why am I listing these horrible people? <laughs> Except for maybe Cain and Abel. Uh, they will be raised and face God. You know, there will be a day of amazing judgment. And let me show you this in Holy Scripture. All will be made alive. There's a hundred percent resurrection rate. If there's a hundred percent death rate, there's a hundred percent resurrection. Oh, you're going to have to refresh my... Oh, you did it? Never mind. Everything's good. I don't know why it does that. It was resurrected. Look at John 5, 21. I, I don't know why, but when I was studying carefully through John, and I've studied through it several times, this text just grabbed a hold of me because it's so interesting. You know, can I say it? It just seems weird, actually. But it's, it's, it's absolute truth. Look with me at John 5, 21 and following. It says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now that sounds like a select group of people who receive this eternal life. And they have life abundantly for eternity, and we'd say amen to that. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. I just want to plug in. Eugene had us read the Great Commission. Remember how it starts. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Everywhere across the globe, a Christian comes to the Hindu, to the Buddhist, to those who follow Confucius, to those who follow Muhammad, and we say, repent, Jesus is Lord. He commands you to repent and come to him and have faith and have your sins forgiven for eternity as, as my forefathers did as they heard the gospel, as they were, you know, Swedish pagans worshiping the gods that they had from their forefathers. They repented of that and came to Christ. So that's all authority. Jesus has all authority. Verse 23, John 5, 23. And that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This is clearly the believers have this abundant eternal release from death. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I think he's talking there a bit metaphorically. The spiritually dead will hear the voice of Jesus and come to life, be reborn, and have eternal life. But that's not all the effects of the resurrection of Christ. Let's read the rest here. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all 
who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. That's universal. I'm a universalist here. All will be raised. Every human being who ever lived, you know, before the flood and after the flood, the billions and billions of hum- humans who've ever lived will be raised. You will always be you, in other words. Death doesn't release you from being you. It's a huge tragedy, I believe, and I don't make light of this at all, but I think it's a huge, ironic tragedy when somebody is so sick of themselves and their life, and they're so angry, they're so hurt, that they decide to commit suicide, to kill themselves. They think there's a release there. But, you know, the Bible's saying there's no release there. Don't do that. Come to Christ. (laughs) Have your sins forgiven. Freedom is available through faith. And you'll be released from all of this to have abundant life forever. See, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And then look at verse 29. And they'll come out. As I said, the cemeteries will be an amazing place of commotion. I love the national cemeteries. Uh, You can even see it as you just drive up to uh, San Francisco along the 280 you get to, what, what is it, San Bruno or one of those places. Look to your right, this row upon row of the white stones of those who gave their life in service to our great nation. We honor them. But that place is, is going to be an amazing place of commotion. Actually, two times over. Uh, and we're going to look at that in a minute here. But anyway, look at this. Verse 29, so important. And come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. See, there it is. You will be raised, and either you will be raised to the resurrection of life or to the resurrection of judgment. You'll be a conscious human being in a body that's eternal. It'll either be in heaven or hell for eternity. Good time to ask why? And it's a good time to say, we don't know. This is the way God has designed it. And it will make perfect sense. Uh, It does make perfect sense, even if we don't fully understand it. You might say, well, that's a horrible doctrine. You know, God made people who will eternally be in a body and suffering for eternity. That's a horrible doctrine. A whole lot of para-Christian Believers have compromised on this. Uh, they, they, they talk about annihilation. They think, well, what happens is if you're, if you're uh, not with Christ, you just get annihilated. Okay, I understand that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You know, we have to be faithful to the Scripture if we want to believe what is true. And this is... Is, is this very clear or is this very clear? Can, can I get an Amen. I mean, this is very clear. I challenge anybody to reinterpret it. 5, 29, 28 and 29 of John's gospel. 100% resurrection rate. Symmetry. Let's look at the next one. Schematic. What do I mean by this? Plan. He has a plan. Look at our text. Verse 22. But, you know, like, hold on. 
It's not stopped there. Yes, it's going to be 100% resurrection, but it's going to come in an amazing logical order. God is not the author of confusion. I remember in 1 Corinthians 14.40, our previous chapter, the very last word, right? But all things should be done decently and in order. You know, the painter has a plan. Uh, and he will execute his plan perfectly. So let's look at this quickly uh, together. Let me just read the text again back to 1 Corinthians 15, and then we'll compare it to a couple of other texts. There is a strict order to the resurrections. Uh, strict, I think that's picked up in the nuance of but, <laughs> but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So the first one is Jesus himself. Christ was first. Good time to ask about what about the resurrection of Lazarus and la, 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 la. Well, okay, we don't know about those things because those guys died again. And that was sort of a temporary resurrection. This was not, this, this is the once and for all resurrection. Death will no longer reign. They'll never die again type of resurrection. And then he says this. Those who belong to Christ at his coming than those who belong to him at his coming. And a, a great parallel text to this is 1 Thessalonians 4. I, I, again, I can't be teaching all of this given our time factor, but it's so important to see these parallel passages that relate to our text. So the second order is this group of people who belong to Christ They'll be raised when he comes. And this is the great text. This is the rapture text. Uh, the rapture, we'll read it here in a second. It's verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Again, that metaphor. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. So here's a church. They've had four or five or ten believers die. And they're wondering, well, what happens here? It seems like, you know, Christ was supposed to come back and take us away, and these people have died. What's going to happen to them? Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So in some sense, their souls, their bodies were here. We put them in the catacomb. We buried them. But their spirit is with Christ, and he's going to bring them with him. It's a, and I love this, verse 15. It's so dramatic. For this we declare to you by, the, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, a loud shout, commanding authoritative voice, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. See, so when Christ comes back, he's bringing their souls with him, and they will rise from the grave. And, you know, there might be like two molecules left of their body. I don't know how it's all going to happen, but it will rise and they will meet and be reunited with their resurrected body in the air, he says. The sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, and you know, that could be us. It could be, could be before I finish this sermon, which would mean in the next 45 minutes. It could be us that Christ would come. The longer I preach, the more likely it is that he will come during my sermon. So look at it that way. <laughs> Kidding. Um, now we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. And we call that the rapture because the Latin word is like, um, you know, an eagle is a raptor. You know how an eagle gets its prey? They soar around, they look, they look at the fields, they see a little mouse crawling around, and they swoop down very silently, snatch that thing away, and they got lunch. And they say, thank you, Lord, in the only way an eagle could say that. That's raptor. Um, and this is the rapture, so we pick it up from the, from the Latin text. We'll be caught up. So, there will be human beings who are fully alive, and they'll be caught up and meet, it says, up together with them. So as the, their bodies are resurrecting, we're going up with them. We'll meet the Lord in the clouds. doesn't seem like the Lord actually touches the earth at this point. Meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that's, that's part of the schematic. Point two, and then point three is then, then everyone else from all time will be raised. And, and our text puts it this way. It says, then comes the end. So after this second level of resurrection comes the third one, which has to do with the end times. So a huge parallel text is Revelation. And I only have 15 more verses to teach here. But seriously, look it up here with me. Revelation 20, it's really very, very cool. Revelation 21 through 15. I'm just going to read through this kind of quickly, given the time. There's Revelation chapter 20. And remember, we've got these layers of of resurrection. It starts out with uh, background information about Satan. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. That's exciting. A bottomless pit would be the idea that you'd fall into it and you'd never hit the bottom, right? Just continue to fall forever and ever. And he has a great chain. And this this amazing angel seizes the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. Okay, very clear he's talking about. Highly identified and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit. So he's falling and bound, and he shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. So for this beautiful period, Satan's totally taken out of the picture. Right now, the Bible says he's a roaring lion looking for someone to devour uh, he tempts us. He's looking to destroy lives and people and VBSs. <laughs> He's look, he, we have an enemy who wants to destroy us. Uh, don't, you know, let's not make light of it. But one day, Jesus, is, Jesus God, is going to take him out of the picture. You know, there's some people who say that describes today. And I'm, I just want to say, no way. This scripture is so profoundly clear. That this, this, he's chained, he's falling, and the, the top is sealed and shut up. 
I know you, you'll love this story. <laughs> my, my dad, I'm very proud of my dad. He, he died in 2004. Uh, he was a young, budding scientist hanging around the University of Chicago when a bunch of guys were trying to build a, a, a gadget that would end the war in Los Alamos called the Manhattan Project. And he was called to come and join them. He was just a low man on the totem pole. But uh, he was there at Los Alamos building the gadget, you know. And they were, they, early on, they tested one. You can go to Los Alamos. They'll show you this place. There's a pit. And they threw this very, very, very small thermo device down this pit. And they put this really heavy steel lid on it. And then the thing worked. And the lid was never seen again. <laughs> they never saw this lid. They think, well, maybe it was launched into outer space or something. You know, it's just gone forever. Well, God creates a better pit. Uh, and he knows the power of what he's thrown in that pit. And this is, a, uh, anyway, exciting, um, interesting literature. Let me read on. So he's in there for a thousand years, and they threw him in, shut him in, sealed it over him, that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. Now, we're getting to the resurrection part in a minute. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life. This is the, that resurrection at his coming. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So there's this thousand-year separation. There would be this resurrection when Christ comes, and then a thousand years later, during which the devil is bound and chained, and Christ reigns on the earth till he makes all his enemies submit to him fully forever. They came to life and reigned. It says, verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. That means the first part. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. See, the first resurrection is that which happens upon his coming. And verse 7, And when the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out and deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, let me go ahead and read it out. I'm sorry, I've got to finish reading. <laughs> then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small. Here's this resurrection. All the dead, all of them, great and small. Uh, you know, Tom Jones and, and Pol Pot, all raised together, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And look at verse 15. It's kind of a beautiful relief. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, the difference is being in the book of life, not your deeds. Uh, it's being in the Lamb's book of life that is salvation. We're not actually saved by our works. We're condemned by our works. Schematic. He's got a plan. They will look on him whom they have pierced, and every eye shall see him. Now, closing out, two more quick slides. Subjection. Um, let's just go over this quickly because of the time. First, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. I, I believe that's in a, a, talking about what we call the millennial reign of Christ. He's going to be reigning. It's a process. Finally, he'll show that he puts all his enemies under his feet. Finally, he fully crushes the enemy, death, and then Christ delivers all to his Father. This is the interesting end of this text. He gives it all to his Father. When all things, verse 28, are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, God the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. God the Father is the highest authority forever. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God the Father are all God. They're all equal in value. They are different in function. We get confused. We think that if we have different functions, then our value is different. Not so. Uh, in God, he, he's fully God, essentially all the same, but they have different functions. And the function of the Son is to be submitted to the Father. And this says, for eternity that he will be submitted to him. Okay, let me close with this. Observations. One, we will all die and be raised. You, you may think, honestly, you may think everything I've said is just ridiculous and unfounded and speculation. And again, I say, you know, respectfully, you may believe that, but, it's, but, but you're wrong based on the word of God. Not, not my word, but God's word. You'll be judged by the word of God, not, not by me and not by your own opinion. So be ready. That's the next thing. In which resurrection will you participate? You will be raised. You want to be in the first one. Because the second one ends in death forever. You're alive and dead constantly forever and ever. In torment forever. A fate horrendous. Worth anything to avoid. And how do you avoid it? You come to faith in Christ. You believe in him. I'll put this at the bottom in just a second here. And If Christ submits to God the Father, how much more should we? Jesus Christ is fully submitted to God the Father. We should much more submit to God. 
And, and then I just put the gospel from John 5 that we already read earlier. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, Jesus says, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's whoever hears. If you hear Jesus calling you now, the voice of Jesus, you may have eternal life by coming to him and believing. He says, you come and you believe, and you believe in him who has sent me. You believe in God, does not come into judgment, but passes from death to life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we've looked at this energetic passage kind of, kind of quickly, but just eight verses that describe the whole scope of human history. Uh, beautiful and amazing. Your work is a masterpiece. Oh, Lord, and we will appreciate it, even if we don't always appreciate it now. Thank you, Lord, for being the master artist whom we can trust fully. Fill us with faith and confidence in you. And, Lord, if there's someone here today who's just quite just struggling, just on that verge of saying, well, I, I, I want to believe it, I just don't know. Lord, would you please clear it open for them and, and open their heart to hear your word, even right now to hear this beautiful promise that if they believe and believe in God the Father and believe in the provision that you have made for us, Father, they can be saved and have eternal life. And then all the rest of us, Lord, help us to live as if we believe this, that we will give an account to you and we will be raised. Help us to always be conscious of eternity, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please.